This week's episode is sponsored by Helio Gas Detection and Rising Suns, the award-winning brewery in Cork. Hey everybody, this is Richie from the Metal Cell Podcast. I'm delighted to announce a new guest on the show. It's Behiacht. It's a solo project, I think formed in 2002 in Derry. Would that be fair enough? I think that's what it says on Metal Archives, but I don't know where they got that number from. Okay. I, I, I don't think that's possible, really. Uh, really? No, it certainly wouldn't be possible. Um, yes, the first album was 2008. So um, maybe a year or two before that is more realistic. Right. So 2006 or seven. No, it is a great source of information, the Metal Archives. And I always wonder, is it obviously there's fans updating it, but I would say that bands would have an input into it as well, especially if stuff is kind of really fucking wrong in it. What's your own opinion on, on stuff like that in, in relation to people that kind of like to archive music, especially your own? bit of a mixed bag because there's been if you look on metal archives you can see a few releases on there that are listed as this one's listed as an album one's listed as an ep but really they were demos okay and i'm not that happy with them so for my sake i would rather they disappeared okay uh for instance the album duchas that's on there it's that really is a demo version of a later album i did called ghost of a world long forgotten okay i see that much of the tracks are the same from that album to that album, but so it's really just a demo and it wasn't very well recorded and the handful of people that did get to listen to it weren't, you know, were as uh, disappointed as I was with it, shall we say. Okay, so this is my point then. So if you could actually get in there and change it yourself, would you be able to do that? I suppose I could. I'm kind of a Luddite. I've never really thought about doing that, but yeah. I put the idea in my head. Yeah, wouldn't be a bad so, idea, seriously. And, um, you know, you know, as you said yourself, there's some stuff that you're not happy with. You could just delete it off it, man, because there's that's not obviously on your Bandcamp page. And that was a question that I wanted to ask you about. There's two or three missing off that, you know. Yeah, they show up. I get the odd, like, Google, whatever they call it, Google, Google Alert, saying some Russian website somewhere is, <laughs> is sharing it and people are listening to it. I'm just wondering, why on earth are you listening to that? There's... Even I've done something better than that, but there's far better out there. So, yeah. Other than yeah. that, they're better forgotten. They're they were just rough attempts at something. Yeah, and you know what? That's absolutely fair enough. I just want to ask you now. It is a solo project. Can you confirm that with guest musicians appearing the odd time? That's effectively true. Yeah, all the music has been. Well, I should say that bar maybe one and a half tracks. All the music has been written by me. Okay. And this, as as you said, there's been the odd person sort of come through, done a wee bit. And, um, but on the whole, it's been a solo project. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible output of uh, music. Fair play to you, man. It's just looking at the amount of stuff you've wrote. Um, I just intrigued into how you actually got into this side of things. Maybe if you don't mind, just give us a small bit of a background. You can keep the mystique if you like, but as a teenager growing up, was there music in your house, for example? Had you access to instruments or? I had a cousin who was in a metal band and that kind of got the idea in my head to okay. do something. So myself and his brother started farting about with guitars and uh, quickly our, we sort of started realizing our taste diverged a bit. So things I was writing didn't work for what he wanted to do. So. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, I just kind of went off and did my own thing. Okay. And I was kind of influenced by the likes of um, 
Dark Throne and Iljarn and Burzum anyway, who were all bands that sort of shunned the social aspect and never really did gigs or nothing. So at the time, it seemed like it was perfectly fine to me to do that as well. Yeah. And like even growing up, wherever you're from, had you much access to that music? How did you find it? Um, well, I'm of the age where a lot of that came through the internet, quite honestly. Okay, oh, fair enough. So uh, just about the first generation probably where people were discovering music through the internet. So MySpace and stuff like that then, is it? Yeah, it would be just like you'd see on a list someone put somewhere at the name of a band or an album and you would find some way of uh, acquiring it, shall we say. Okay. But, uh, you know, as you as you get older, you get a bit of money and you're, you buy the, the albums yourself rather than just, you know, acquiring them. Yes, yes. So, Very uh, important to have physical copies once you go past a certain age, I think. I think it's a mixed bag, that really. I wonder, it's it's become a very niche hobby, hasn't it, to collect music? Yeah. And I wonder, it's almost like it's, I don't see the younger generation necessarily participating in it because it's prohibitively oh. expensive to get vinyl and things like that and to, to really know something like an MP3, you just click on it, it plays, or even Spotify, you click on it, it plays, but to know how to get a vinyl player working, what's a good one, what's a good needle to get. I think it's a little bit esoteric for a lot of young people. So I think it's maybe a barrier to entry for them. Yeah, it's, it's hard to kind of understand it coming from my point of view in relation to when I was in my teenage years, the vinyl was everything and you bought the vinyl for the artwork, like Celtic Frost would be a perfect example of that. And, you know, you'd sit down and play it and just go through the lyrics, you've got access to everything. And nowadays, when it's come around for the second time, the vinyl, I think a lot of bands are capitalizing on that to a degree, you know, and hence pushing up the price as well, making it impossible for this younger generation to actually even be intrigued by it, we'll say, when they have everything, as you said, by MP3. Yeah, there's certainly something that I remember from my childhood where you would discover your dad's vinyls and you'd see, oh, Lizzie, what's this? Then Lizzie or Led yeah. Zeppelin. Mm. And you would see the full-size artworks and that in itself was, you know, something, an artifact to, to find. But yes, an artifact. Yes, it, it very much is now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I wonder, I find myself wondering if there is a next generation coming through for metal music. I mean... You may have your own opinion on this, but it sort of seems to me like uh, for my people of my age, it was like a subculture you got into, but I don't think subcultures are a thing anymore, really, are they? So it yeah. seems like metal is a, a hobby for older people. Yeah, and people can't make a living from it. So I think there's that aspect too. I think, you know, the penny is dropped with younger people that they realize, okay, we can't make a living out of it. So what we'll do is we'll just create our own stuff. We don't have to uh, spend a fortune on studio equipment. We can just get it out there into the ether using MP3s, using cheap um, recording materials at home. And, you know, suddenly you're an artist. They kind of seem to bypass all the hard work, what a lot of the older musicians would have to go through. Would you agree with that? I would say so. I feel like that's maybe a bit harsh on the younger ones, but I think, uh, how do I put this? I don't know, my head's gone blank. I think the uh, metal perhaps is a bit of a, an issue in that there's 
I think there might be in a generation or so's time the lack of continuity there. I think the audience might start falling away. I mean, I'm not a big attender of gigs, if I'm completely okay. honest, but uh, when I do see videos people put up from gigs or I do see the kind of people online that are talking about metal music, it seems to have become a thing for older people. Hmm. I don't think the meaning, the meaning that it had to me when I was younger, um, I, I don't know how you think about this for yourself, but for me, heavy metal meant the world in a lot of ways. And as I've gotten older, I started to see that perhaps that's not the case. And I don't see the young people coming through have that same level of devotion, which is not necessarily a bad thing either way, but yeah, you know, I wonder what, what, uh, what is the replacement for them? I feel like yeah. for, for my generation, belief in something like a subculture was a replacement for the loss of things like religion, you know, kind of yeah. meaning through that, through that sort of medium. Yeah, we were and, certainly uh, more fanatical, definitely. I think that yeah. I think I think that kind of would be a good description of of us back in the day, fanatical about it. Um, whereas, yeah, it's very much give and take at the at the moment. And you're right. I wonder what it where it's going to be in five, ten years' time. It's an interesting one to think about, actually. Yeah, it's hard to know exactly where it's going to go. You may have a revival, but uh, I'm not seeing it just yet, at least. Yeah. So how do you approach writing music? Do you have an acoustic guitar at hand and do you write a lot of it through that or what approach do you take to it? I suppose a lot of riffs do come sort of spontaneously. Uh, you just sort of sit there and you have the spark of an idea and you record it down on something. Um, Is it an acoustic by any chance or do, do you actually plug in and use an electric to write? It used to be that I would plug in to write, but increasingly it's just a case of you grab the electric guitar and you okay. play about with it and you get the chance, but it's never plugged in, you know, it's yeah, sort of okay. <laughs> old things from your, your life. So it's start taking over as you get older, really, don't they? So you take whatever chance you can to play and then ideas appear and stack up for as much as a decade. Sometimes in my case, the thing I've been working on recently, I've been farting about with the ideas for at least 10 years, some of the tracks. Oh, really? On Beowulf, is it? The thing that I'm hoping to get out sometime this year, it's oh, close okay. to being finished. I've been, Beowulf was actually really just a, a way to distract myself from how obsessive I was getting about that one, if I'm honest. Right. Okay. I decided instead of writing excessively complicated music, you know, like 10 minute plus tracks, just say F it and play something that sounds like Celtic Frost sped up. <laughs> No. Okay. So like you said yourself, since you released maybe Ashling Dorky came out in 2008, would that be right? Yep. Okay. So as you moved through all the albums and releases, there is a sense of change as you growing older as a musician. And now would you say yourself that you've moved more or less into death metal was that always the plan or are you still transient in relation to where you are with your music there's a little bit of an odd story in there in that i started off uh making very minimalist music mm -hmm. uh, taking dark thrones simplest music and ill as my cues really effectively wanting to write noisy ambient music i thought of it as yes and then Gradually, I started making just actual ambient music and thought I was going to drop the metal stuff. And for a period, I made, uh, I had illusions of being a classical composer and I sort of went away to do some studying and uh, came out of that disillusioned. 
Right. And so from after that, I kind of applied the 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 knowledge and the methods that I had to write metal again, which sort of led me to writing slightly more complicated music and, and absorbing death metal as an influence, I think. Okay. That's interesting. I mean, where you are at the moment then, let's talk about that. Beowulf, congratulations on a fantastic EP, man. It was brilliant. It really was. And it had a good story. I always love a good story that runs through, say, an EP or an album. What drew you to Beowulf? Would you have a lot of interest in literature? Well, thank you very much, first of all. Uh, glad you enjoyed it, honestly. Um, yeah, there's something, the Beowulf story is always kind of appealed to me since I was a kid. I remember we had a, when I was very young, there would, there would be a substitute teacher who would come in and instead of having a lesson plan, would just tell the kids stories. And very clearly, I remember the one of the stories he told was Beowulf. And so okay. that's always stuck with me. But uh, as soon as I wrote the music, the story that was coming to mind was Beowulf. Okay. And then uh, as I came to be finishing it, I sort of started noticing that it was also the 10-year anniversary of Seamus Heaney's death. And Seamus Heaney, one of the most famous things he did besides his poetry was translate Beowulf. So yeah. I sort of returned to that. and That's a nice... Taking, yeah, it's taking... Adairi Man is also taking inspiration yeah. from his his view on the, the poem. And you, I started to see the, the ideas, literary ideas from that that he took for his own poems, because I was always never that great big of a fan of his own poems, but I started to see the sort of alliterative style and how it actually was uh you could see it in his work too yeah, so he's that as a, an inspiration and uh some of the other translations as well and it just all kind of came together organically really yeah it's amazing because like beowulf itself like there was thirty thousand lines of anglo-saxon poetry surviving in only four manuscripts and four monks decide to copy this one so we don't know if that was the best of its type in its time. Like it's, yeah. it's crazy, isn't it? Just to think of it that way. It's crazy to think of all the stories that didn't survive. That didn't the survive, just, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's it's like to hold it up against what? Like, <laughs> you know, and obviously the monks liked it because the Christian material that's kind of running through it. And I'd like to think anyway that one of the monks liked the idea of that it was monsters in it was translated and became so popular really yeah i have played with the idea at one point of trying to find irish stories of a similar kind of bent you know even thinking oh what if you did the catalogue of cooley or something but mm. of, uh, the similarity i guess there is that you, they're both obviously pagan stories that have been written down by christians and you wonder yeah. how much were they writing down the oral tradition as they got it, or how much were they inserting the Christian bits inside of it? Yeah, it's, so, it's, it's intriguing, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's, a, it's basically if you think about it. Really, it's just a monster story. It's just a horror film. Long before yeah. it's there were horror films, but there's yeah. something about the human spirit that's always in there. Those kind of stories that I think appeals mm. across the generations. Like I think even with Grendel, that's a lineage that goes back as far as Cain. You know, the first murder, you know, Grendel's ancestry goes back as far as the offspring of women and fallen angels who rebelled against God and the deep past. There's like so much stuff you can kind of take out of it, which you didn't explore. But, you know, that to me is is another side of Beowulf that is kind of intriguing in relation to Grendel as the monster, you know? Yeah, I think so, too. I think 
it skirts that line between being a pagan story and a Christian story, I think. So I didn't try to, to the extent that uh, I directly copied anything from the text that I was using. I didn't try and remove any of the Christian elements. So there is maybe, I yeah. think off the top of my head, a reference to uh, purgatory or perdition, I think was the word I used. But so I didn't try and remove the Christian elements. I tried to keep it as authentic as possible in that respect. Mm. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a track off it. And it's, yeah, it's definitely my favorite track of it all. Headhunter. Okay. Excellent.
And that's such a fucking great track. Jesus. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I love the way that there's a sense of melody running through it, a thread of melody running through that. And I'd love if you had an unlimited budget with your recording that you could have could have put in an orchestra at some stage or other in any of those songs. Which one would it have been? Oh, probably the uh, final track into the Lair of the Beast. I think that's, yeah. you could imagine large Wagner horns and yes. brass and trombones and things. Just yeah, gigantic epic swells there, I think, if I could. Yeah, it would be fantastic. Yeah, great choice. I, I would have to agree. It's actually the second song that we're going to listen to later. Like when you look at maybe we'll say the likes of Celtic Frost, since we mentioned them earlier and what they achieved with, with an orchestra, how close did you come? You you did say you studied it for a while, but how close did you come to playing around with the idea of maybe getting in maybe four or five musicians who can do that or, you know, because you could you could kind of replicate it all right in synths and stuff. But, you know, is that a conflict with you? Um, it's, I have written for small orchestral ensembles before, like a chamber orchestra and, uh, oh, okay. piano and singer, things like that. But it's been, been a while and I've written the odd bit of choral work that no one's ever seen or heard. Mm -hmm. Um, do you find it fulfilling? It's challenging. Certainly. I feel like, um, you can say more, but the difficulty is trying to find the musicians to do it, which is, yeah. which was a big reason why I just went back to metal, to be honest. Okay. All I needed to make metal was my own, own self, basically my guitar, a computer, mm -hmm. my voice, just do it myself. Whereas with an orchestra, you're always relying on, um, a commission essentially and an, an ensemble that's right for the, for the piece you've written. Yeah. Did you look into that at all? How Tom G warrior got these musicians. I don't think it's mentioned much in the history of Celtic Frost, how he went about it, you know, because certainly Switzerland is it's hard to imagine there being a love for metal, first of all, and then for him to sell that concept, unless he went through the record label, maybe Noise or something. I think if you've done about uh, to Megatherion, it probably was just through the label. I know mm. in more recent years, the Trypticon have done the... Uh, the oh, yeah. Requiem piece, the name of which escapes me. So I think somewhere like Switzerland, they're, they've cottoned on to the the cultural value of metal in the same way that Norway has to an extent. So, you yes. know, someone like Timmy Borger, obviously can get an orchestra if they ask for it and there's the cultural support for it there. But I don't think there, obviously there's not that same sort of support in Ireland for that or uh, Northern Ireland, obviously. So, yeah. you know, I've even heard... Uh, off the top of my head, Alan Averill's talked about he um trying to get funding to get the band on tour and things from the Arts Council, and it's just not they're not interested basically. There's not really the recognition of what the cultural value is. Yes, that's a major problem, isn't it? Um, for for us as a as a metal scene. No matter how many talented musicians we've had through the years, it's just not acknowledged, you know. They seem to just culturally it's it's about the trad, really, isn't it? I think that's also where, why perhaps it's never caught fire in Ireland in the same way. I mean, if I'm honest, I don't know how many world-class metal bands Ireland has produced. Maybe maybe per capita it produces above its weight, but there's, it's only a small list you could think of, really. And um, 
And I think there's a cultural element there in that music in Ireland is about the crack. So a band like Primordial, for instance, where, I mean, a, a Primordial gig's obviously a good crack, but it's bloomy music, you know, it's it's uh, offensive music sometimes, you know, and that's not what music's about in Irish culture. Irish culture's about, you know, having a pint and yeah. someone playing a fiddle in the corner, essentially. Yeah, fuck's sake. I know. <laughs> it's head wrecking. Been through it too many times, actually. <laughs> Let's talk about the rhythm section in all your music. Has it changed much throughout the years with better technology or what's your opinion on it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it has been sequenced over the years. Uh, mm -hmm. I think I've gotten better at sequencing. There's been the odd time where it was a real kit okay. and a real performance, but the the limitations of my ability or who I'm working with's ability to play drums was deliberately part of the charm. You yeah. Know? And okay. There's some of that in Beowulf as well, which is just that it's not meant to be, you know, dream theater. It's meant to be very straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. And working then with artwork, do you enjoy it? Do you like sourcing material that could suit Beowulf? Well, for Beowulf, the, the image came from uh, a book from the early 1900s, I think. Okay. I think it's a collection of uh, folklore and sort of kids' stories, essentially, from uh, the British Isles. And that right. image was in the, the book. Mm -hmm. And art in general, does it inspire you? Certainly. Visual art inspires me. It's uh, For me, it's kind of a hard thing to access original artwork that's really saying what I'm trying to say. Which yeah, is... that's what I'm trying to get to. Like, how do you marry that with the music? Sometimes is it frustrating. I mean, Hieronymus Bosch, for me, with your type of music, that's what conjures up for me anyway. Yeah, I'm a, a big fan, if that's the right word, of uh, the painter Caspar David Friedrich and his work. Okay. Sort of uh, the darkness of that rom romantic era, I guess you could say, but it's more like... Mm. Uh, the you from his paintings to really get a sense of nature surrounding man and man being this tiny little figure on the the bottom of the painting and the larger forest or the larger mountain scape that he's painting so something in his work certainly speaks to me similar to me in what i'm trying to achieve with the music yeah so then getting access well obviously not to his work but getting access to something is it frustrating for you, you know, to represent your music with a, a certain piece of art that you're struggling to find? You have pin interest, for example, a lot of solo artists and bands, I suppose, as well, will contact artists that are doing fantastic work that it, that mightn't necessarily be the obvious ones in certain forms of media, but they're still putting their art on pin interest. So you can get access to that by just typing in certain words. Um, have you gone down that rabbit hole by any chance? I actually haven't, no. Uh, I don't think I've ever used that website. Um, I, I would certainly be up for working with a talented visual artist if there's anyone listening and they think their ideas are, you know, they think they'd like to work with me and have something that would work with the music. That'd be fantastic. But uh, yeah. I guess the other side of it is that I have a, a visual interest in uh video and film, which I'm going to try and hopefully perhaps explore a bit more than I have done previously. I have put a couple of lyric videos out in the last couple of years mm. that I've uh, produced myself, but hopefully in the future I'll do more of that as well. Yeah. 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 That's, that's another way of getting your material out there. So let's talk about that. Do you struggle with it socially? 
on the social media side of things, it it's not something that I I love by any means. It's really a pain in the ass being truthful, but you know, just to get the podcast out there, you have to be relentless with it to some degree with social media. How do you deal with it yourself? I think that's one of the things that even in the time I've been making music, I've struggled to adapt to. Mm-hmm. So I started obviously with the time, excuse me, and um, there was no Facebook and the internet was not as centralized as it's become. There was yeah. no Instagram, etc., no Spotify even. So it would become word of mouth or through forums or through people that you just happened to get in touch with because you had the same taste in music. Yeah. Um, it was considerably easier to just spread music and then have some label on, on the other side of Europe say, oh, can we do a limited run of tapes of your thing? And you'd be like, yeah, sure. But the the, the present day setup is something I haven't adapted to well. And uh, part of me is quite defiant about adapting to it. Okay. I don't, I don't really want to be a content creator. I want to make music. I want to try and create art, if it's not too wanky to say that. No. No. I'm not, it's a... Uh, as I think I may have said, I'm trying to write very long music for this this project I've been messing around with for quite a long time now, almost 10 years, I'd say. Okay. And uh, it's uh, certainly hard to imagine how you would make that work on something like TikTok. <laughs> Fuck TikTok, you take the piss. <laughs> <laughs> I even hate that fucking word. Ah. Oh, I... Yeah, and that's the problem, isn't it? Because as a solo artist, it's, it's trying to get to an audience because there's so much content out there music wise it's something you'll either get a record label involved or Behiak could suddenly emerge through a playlist and then you've got access to maybe fucking 20,000 people from all types of life that would be into that certain genre of music if you understand that you have no control over but yet you'll reap the benefits of it you know so it's a strange one isn't it it is. I wonder how people actually discover new music these days. I know that sounds yeah. very old manish, but, uh, you know, you say you go to the gym or you go somewhere and uh, they're playing ACDC or Metallica, Black Album or something. If someone puts on a metal playlist and you're like, you're wondering, okay, are there new bands or are they out there and just struggling to get through the uh, the algorithm, as it were? I mean, yeah. how do you discover new bands? What's the way that you do it? True friends still, thankfully. I do put on Spotify, but I just find after a week or so, it just regurgitates it again. Yeah. T- it's funny, I, d- I tend not to listen to music as much as I do now on Spotify. Initially I did, but now it's just like, fuck it. I'd rather just go down the Bandcamp route, being truthful. I think Bandcamp is definitely a, a better art platform for the artists. Yeah. So I'm glad that it's there for that reason. Absolutely. Uh, Spotify yeah. is essentially the devil mm. in terms of you know, how they treat artists and then how they trap people in this loop of listening to the the same things that they want people to listen to. So it's, um, I don't really have a good answer for what's, how it could change, but it does seem like the, the analog method, as it were, of just someone saying, here, have you fucking heard this? Yeah. Or going to a gig is perhaps still the best way to discover new music, which is. Oh, definitely. We all have friends that go the extra yard trying to discover music. And that's what I rely on a lot of the time. Yeah, and it's that's that's good. I guess that's healthy. I mean, it's it's breaks down that sort of digital barrier that's put between everyone and shows that you, we can still just you know like something and share it with someone we actually know in, in the flesh. Yeah, and fans getting in contact with you. How does that work? 
if they want to get through, yeah, they can get me through Bandcamp. That's probably the best way. Uh, okay. There is also an Instagram, if you, which I've only recently set up. So if someone did want to reach out to me there, they could certainly do that. Uh, yeah. Facebook. There's I still have a Facebook for Behayak, but it's uh, it's a, a dead platform. It's a useless platform. So yeah. I wouldn't advise going through that. Mm. Did you spend much time looking at record labels to get your music out? Almost none. I think okay. I think initially I was just uh, I was just obsessed with the idea of writing music and singularly focused on that. And uh, very early on, I, I used to put music out for free, and that yeah. uh, I sort of cottoned on. I think perhaps that uh, people were less and less interested to pay for music, and maybe I thought perhaps a way for a new band to break through might be just give it away for free and see what happens. And I think <laughs> back. 10, 15 years ago, whatever it was, that was a good way to get uh, attention. But now there's just such a saturation and and more to the point, there's a filter put in place by the likes of Facebook and Instagram, etc. And that unless you pay them, they won't promote your music to the people who have already liked your page. And even if they, you do pay them, they'll probably just promote your post to people in Indonesia who don't really you know interact with you and your page at all and are not actually interested in what you're doing but they're just there in a click farm yeah i'm just interested also my flesh and blood shall feed the earth is that somewhere where you are going to when you're talking about this one that's in the background the whole time stylistically you mean yeah yeah that was actually uh both that and the jaws of death which was on a, another release a couple of years before that one Mm-hmm. They were both tracks that I effectively cut from this other project. Oh, really? So, wow. Yeah. Okay. So longer, longer songs, more involved arrangements, and uh, mm. they're probably the two of the doomier tracks out of the lot. But the idea of just doing longer tracks with more involved arrangements was yeah. uh, is the idea behind this project, basically. Okay. Cool. Right. I'm going to play my second track of "Be a Wolf," and it's "Into the Lair of the Beast."
Yeah, there's so much space there for big orchestra piece there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, that could be fun, definitely. That yeah. could definitely be fun. Let's talk about the Irish language as such. It was obviously a conscious change to go from Ashling Dorca and then summon in the past EP. Actually, that drowned drowned in the shadows track there is fucking class, man. <laughs> so when you got out Conquest, you were using English, basically. Obviously, the music is the most important part about, I would say, Bihiak. What about when it comes to language in relation to the, the whole project? Um, was there something happened in the meantime that made you change when Conquest came out, which was 2015? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, mm. I think if I were to spoil anyone's illusions they might have about uh, Ashling and Karika, it's... Um, I don't think their lyrics are that well written, if I'm honest. Okay. Uh, the lyrics were... It was a bit of a, a collaborative project, and I don't think it uh, comes across that great. So it was just a... It was much of a confidence thing. Okay. Why I switched to English, but also uh, an acknowledgement that that's unfortunately the language of the world. Mm-hmm. But I did for for that first album. I thought I looked around and I don't think there was ever a metal album fully written in Irish. There was the odd track you'd find, but as uh, badly as I may have done, I thought fuck it, let's do the first album in Irish. So yeah, that's how that came out. And uh, as I said, I needed bit of help doing that but i don't think it was totally successful okay that's very honest out of you when conquest came out it was a lot easier and i think yeah that was hugh o'neill's rebellion and the battle of kinsale was the the whole team running through that was it that was the theme of one of the tracks actually yeah the okay. uh the each other than i think off the top of my head one track all of the tracks have a historical story behind them yeah so uh, Skirmish, for instance, the story, it's um, the uh, battle, if it's, you can call it a battle, the raid on the Lindisfarne Monastery that started the Viking Age. Okay. And then the Fury right. of the Sea is about, Fury of the Sea is about the... Uh, Rattlin Island. Rattlin Island, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I enjoy artists that do put those reference points in history into their lyrics. Um, I think it's, it's a very, very good thing to have um, for younger people that are just discovering Behiak through music and then finding these lyrics. And you'd hope that it would send them off down a rabbit hole into researching this part of Irish history, for example. Um, is there that side of you that would hope that would be happening? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, if anyone goes away and finds out about the story of the massacre on Rathlin Island, for instance, then that's great. Or the Battle of Sale, which uh, one of the tracks is about, then certainly. Um, yeah. But I guess the meta theme, if you can use a, a pompous term like that, of that album is just uh, the futility of conflict and uh, the repetitiousness of it. Mm. I think... Uh, one of the things that was in my mind at the time I was writing it was uh, the, the state of the world that we lived in, you know, so there would, okay. would have been a lot of terror attacks and talk of, and you know, sending troops to Syria and things like that. And so the track Conquerors is about the uh, First Crusade and there's a reference to the, the siege of Antioch, which is in Syria, I believe, unless I'm messing that up. Um, mm. 
So it just it seemed like the repetitiousness of history was the theme that was running through that album. Yeah. So Behiok as a solo project is also uh, steeped in history in relation to lyrics. It's certainly a factor. Yes. Uh, I think if I was to sum it up with one sort of phrase, it'd be just an obsession with death, really. <laughs> Everything's very, it's all very morbid. Can't, can't do yeah. cheery lyrics. It's fun to write, man. It's fun to read as well, I must say. <laughs> ah, it's cathartic, at least, I think, you know. There you go. And I was going to get to that with you. Music as a form for yourself is an expression, obviously. But the fact that you're sharing it, you're creating it and you're putting it out there, you're sharing it with people that that when they do find you, you would hope would really get into it and be really as as passionate as what you're putting out there through the music. Like, as you said, it's cathartic for yourself, but you're sharing it. And it's a, it's a fantastic form of music that you're doing. So does it make you happy, for example? Um, I don't know, man. I have to say I'm happy about this kind of music. Yeah. You Just are. Keep, you're a, certainly keep, are. A, keep a grim exterior, aren't you? And uh, No, I, th I think it's... Um, I think uh, death is terrifying, quite, very frankly, and uh, sadly, we're all going to go that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, if music can be the the sort of comfort or the thing that helps us understand our mortality and our place in, in history, as it were, you know, yeah, then fantastic. You know, I think that's always been part of a lot of human cultures. I think, you know, if you think of something like Keening, which is not done very much anymore, but this, this sort of emotional musical outpouring at a funeral that was part yeah. of Irish culture and is still just about part of Irish culture in some places. Yeah. There, there's something about death and music that I, it's kind of inseparable. Mm. Yeah. With Beowulf, um, inspirational characters. Okay, they're monsters and stuff like that. But again, it's the music that's pushing it for the listener, first of all. And then you'd hope that the listener then will just, just try and figure out what the story is behind it. And uh, it, it goes right back to primitive times when you sit around the campfire and you you sing, <laughs> you pick up a drum and it's uh, primitive, but it's still so important to everybody, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think the monster Beowulf is the unknown terror that stalks in the night. And if you think back to when we were all hunter-gatherers, who knows what's out there, you know? Yeah. Could be saber-toothed tiger or... Uh, a mountain lion or a bear or something. There's something mm. deeply embedded in our psyche that comes from those times, I think. We might not live in a time in Ireland where we have uh, to worry about bears or lions and things, but it's still embedded in our psyche and uh, the fear of the unknown is definitely bound up with the fear of death. Yeah, it is indeed. Uh, just equipment-wise, let's just talk about Beowulf. What equipment did you use uh, to create that EP. We'll just maybe start with guitars. Have you a particular guitar that you prefer using the whole time? Um, very unfancy about gear. Okay. Uh, if I was to think which guitar. I have a couple of guitars, but they're all cheap. Um, and I sort of have a defiant joy in the fact that I'm not a gear person in that respect. Okay, cool. Obviously, the other time I have gone on stage for musical projects, you can, you might get, they might get a bit wonky, but... Uh, <laughs> but for recording purposes, they function fine. And um, yes. 
the amp that I record through and have done for a few releases is a PV Bandit from the early 90s. I'm just staring over it now trying to figure out what one is. Green Stripe PV Bandit from the early 90s that I happened to read sometime once. And it may not be true, but apparently Left Hand Path was recorded on just such an amplifier. So ah, I bought nice. it and said, okay, well, the distortion channel sort of sounds like Left Hand Path. So happy it is. Can't be too bad. Yeah. And pedals? No pedals. No pedals. Okay. Not to record with anyway. And what do you use then to record the music through what program? Program? Uh, it's recorded in Reaper. Reaper. Okay. Yeah. Use Reaper myself. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's good software. Yeah, so that's basically it, man. Um, once again, congratulations on a fantastic EP. We're all looking forward to the. It's it's definitely going to be an album, and you think it might be out in twenty twenty four. It'll be good to finally get it out of my life, for okay. sure. I have uh, actually have another album fully written and recorded that I finished in I think it was twenty twenty that I've never released. Wow! So I was never fully satisfied with it. So right. Perhaps at some point, and that's also stylistically completely different again. It's still okay. a metal album, but it's completely different. So it would be a bit of a curveball. You can think of it more of a side project, I guess. Yeah. Who would you run ideas by? Just popped into my head there. Like, have you maybe one or two friends that will be honest with you? Or like, how do you know when is it completed? Like a track even? There would be one or two people I'd run things by other musicians not other okay. metal musicians as it happens because i don't really okay that's interesting yeah. sort of yeah where i am i'm sort of dis disconnected from any kind of scene really right okay uh, up in Derry, there would have at some point been more of a rock metal scene but it's kind mm -hmm. of uh what little there was has disappeared to a large extent okay i know uh frost and fire festival tried to do something last year I, or was it the year before i forget now which is uh yeah yeah it was that's jarvis actually with night demon yeah I yeah the show yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't met him, but uh, I'm aware he's up here and uh, trying to do good stuff. So it's always welcomed, you know, but yeah. um, it, it's, it's a kind of a quiet place for a metal scene. So so you found ideas other... of non-metal musicians then, really? Yeah, yeah, That's a couple cool. of them. Nice, nice. That's handy to know. <laughs> it's often a thing that a lot of musicians will come on the show, like they take it to the nth degree and to just get overwhelmed by it or they'll put it out or they're waiting for other bandmates to put their tube and sort, you know. So that's the that's the best thing about a solo artist. You don't really have to answer to nobody. Yeah, the downside of that is that uh, if you don't have the pressure of other musicians or deadline or something, then you can always end up like I have and just obsess over something for far too long <laughs> and not, not just say it's done and get rid of it. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. So that's brilliant, man. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you very much. It's been uh, very good. Yeah. And listen, congratulations again on Beer Wolf. It was a great release in um, 2023. And I wish you nothing but success in 2024 in relation to getting stuff out there and increasing the audience for this music. You're doing God's work as they say, or the devil's work, which, which would be the one you prefer? <laughs> okay, either. We'll take either. Yeah. Thank you very much. Though. The devil writes the best music, as I say. I don't know about that. you got to say, J.S. <laughs> J. S. Bach was devoted to the Lord and his music's yeah. just insanely brilliant. So That's actually a good comparison. Yeah, very good. That's it, folks. You were listening to Behiak. Again, thanks for taking the time for coming on the show. Check out all his stuff. It's up on Bandcamp. Some great music there. So get lost in it and keep an eye on his Instagram page, we'll say. 
so he will be updating you or Behaoff will definitely give you a push as well in the right direction. That'd be excellent. Thank you. Okay, so that's it, folks. And crucially, support your local metal scene.